Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, February 8th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. Let's dive right into the news. Uh, Chris, I think you wrote what may be the most interesting uh not not to set us up as a top-heavy episode or anything, but maybe the most interesting story that we're going to talk about today is a uh, a new project from director Chloe Zhao. What what does she have in the works? Uh, she is doing a new version of Dracula for Universal, and this sounds unlike any Dracula we've seen before because it's described as a quote futuristic sci-fi western. Um, uh, there, there've been plenty of, of Western theme vampire movies before. I mean, uh, near dark is, is a great example. That's a great movie. Uh, and there's even been a Western Dracula movie before. There's a 1966 film called Billy the kid versus Dracula. And it's terrible, but, uh, <laughs> there's never really been one quite like this, a, a futuristic sci-fi Western version of Dracula. Um, we don't know in a whole lot about it. We just know that. That's the concept. It's going to deal with characters on society's fringes, and that's really the most of it. Uh, Chloe Zhao is going to write and direct it, which is very exciting because she's a exciting filmmaker, and the idea of her taking this on is is very cool. Uh, we know this is is sort of part of Universal's um, ongoing attempt to revive their their classic monsters. You know, uh, they infamous, infamously tried this with the dark universe and the mummy and that failed and they kind of went back to the drawing board and, and restarted all over again with Lee one L's uh, the invisible man. Um, we also know that there's another Dracula movie in development uh, at Blumhouse, but it's not officially set up at universal. Uh, and that movie is coming from Karen Kusama who directed uh, um Oh Christ! Uh, what did she direct? <laughs> she directed uh, the invi- the invitation. The invitation. I was going to say widows. That's completely wrong. The, the invitation. Uh, she's a great filmmaker. Um, Destroyer is is a wonderful movie that no one saw, but I, I thought it was fantastic. So, 
um, it, it's probably inevitable that that project will end up at Universal because Blumhouse Universal have uh, you know a deal together, but it's not officially there yet. But uh, I was able to confirm through a source that as of now, both projects are in development. So you know, Universal isn't killing off the Karen Kusama one to to make th- this one. So uh, yeah. Okay, so Jacob, I know that you're a, a big Dracula fan. What do you think about this uh, very specific, very unique uh, take on that story? Uh, Dracula is malleable enough at this point to pretty much go anywhere and do anything. So I'm happy that someone is doing something unique with Dracula. And this sounds it's interesting because it sounds like a total B movie, it, uh, like the kind of you know early seventies trash you'd see Italians make to make a quick buck released dub in the United States. But uh, you know the director of Nomadland and the Eternals uh, and the writer doing that immediately makes me so interested in it and beyond it being a B movie pleasure. So I I really want to know what's up. I, I saw I saw somebody on social media say this. So I'm gonna quote it here or paraphrase it here uh what if this is essentially dracula mad max where in a, in a, in a post-popular landscape where everybody's fighting for survival trying to find food and water dracula needs to find blood and maybe that's what they mean by sci-fi i'm very curious if that's huh. the angle they're going for here for, or if it's actually dracula in space who knows interesting so um Chris, I just want to, before we move on, I want to get your take on, um, like Chloe Ja has like a very specific, uh, style. I'm not exactly sure how to define it, but it's, it's a sort of an intimate style, almost like a documentary kind of vibe. Um, applying that to, and I I don't know if she's going to apply that same style that she's developed over the past few movies to this Dracula project, but, uh, you know, it, it's very possible that she just completely eschews that and, and you know, embraces a, a totally different aesthetic and, and feel for this movie. But if she were to apply that kind of vibe to a, <laughs> a Dracula movie, a specifically one that's a sci-fi futuristic Western, um, how do you think that might work? Do you think that that, uh, like Jacob was saying, the, the malleability of Dracula as a character, but like, what do you think about the the type of uh, filmmaking that can be applied to a Dracula story. Do you think that's an interesting uh, prospect there? I mean, it would definitely be, uh, like I said, unlike any (laughs) Dracula you've seen before, um, not so much Dracula. I don't know how that style lends itself to sci-fi, but that's because I'm probably just not being imaginative enough. And, you know, that's what kind of makes this exciting is that when I try to picture, you know, this version of Dracula in my head, I can't, really think of anything anything i think of is like you know comical and that's kind of what makes this exciting is that you know this story has been done to death dracula has been adapted countless times and the idea of finding a way to do something new with it and do it in a uh serious way like i i don't think she's going to be making it like a a winking tongue-in-cheek sci-fi Dracula Western. Mm-hmm. So the idea that she's taking that and, and applying it, you know, with her sensibilities just makes this uh, just intriguing, I guess is the word. Like, I'm, yeah. I just can't wait to see what this turns out to be. Well, speaking of intriguing, uh, Marvel Studios has hired a writer for its Blade reboot, and it's a, a sort of intriguing choice. Chris, tell us about that. Uh, yes, Stacey O.C. Kufor who uh, wrote, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Watchmen, the HBO version of Watchmen, uh, has been tapped to write the the reboot, if you will, of Blade. Blade is, of course, the Marvel Comics 
character who's half human, half vampire. Uh, Wesley Snipes famously played the character originally. Uh, Marshala Ali is is going to be playing the the new version uh, that was announced at Comic-Con back in 2019. And we really haven't heard much about this since that announcement. That announcement was done in almost like a uh, a funny way because it came at the very end of the Comic-Con panel. Uh, and since then, there's been next to no word about it. But now, you know, Marvel has hired a writer. Um, uh, this makes her the, the first black female writer of a Marvel Studios movie, which in itself is a big deal. Um, and you know, the fact that they have a writer indicates they're, you know, they're finally picking up steam with this. So now they have to, they have to find a filmmaker and, and all that jazz. But, uh, yeah, so this, this sounds like Blade is finally getting off the ground over at Marvel. Uh, Chris, you and I, and HT, we talked a lot about Watchmen when that show was on. And, and as you mentioned, this writer was one of the, the story editors and writers of, uh, of that HBO series. But are there any other credits of hers that, uh, stood out to you that, that make her seem like maybe an interesting choice for a, a Blade project? <clears throat> I mean, just that alone makes me interested just because that, that Watchmen series, um, you know, it seems like a, like, oh, this won't work, but it turned to be really well. She also wrote Run or she was one of the writers on run the HBO series that only lasted one season and got canceled. But I, I really liked it, even though it seems like everyone gave up on it. And a lot of people did not like how that series ended uh, to be fair that, you know, the ending wasn't meant to be a series finale. It was supposed to be a right. season finale and then the show got canceled. So uh, it has that thing against it. But I, I really liked run. She also wrote an episode of pen 15, which I have not seen, but I hear people oh, say yeah. things about that show. Yeah, that show is great. And I'm looking at her credits now. She wrote the uh, Anna Ishi Peters episode from season one. And that's a really great episode. So um, yeah, definitely some promising stuff here. Uh, Jacob, as, as a, you know, our resident comic book fan, uh, I'm sure you have some opinions on Blade. What do you think about uh, this new version with uh, Mahershala Ali in the works and then also this writer being attached to it? Yeah, I was actually in the room when Mahershala did the whole, oh, I'm playing Blade thing at Comic-Con. <laughs> it really did kind of roll. Uh, I'm really interested and excited to see what this is because Blade is such a strange fit for Marvel Comics already. And then there's the MCU. It's like, how do you fit Blade, the vampire hunting vampire, into the same world as Captain America and Iron Man? I, it just tickles me. It, it tickles me so much the idea of, of like, let's just say, um, Winter Soldier finding Blade and Blade saying, oh, yeah, there's a vampire problem. Where have you been this whole time fighting vampires all alone? And you're off <laughs> doing what, what do you do? I'm saving the world from vampires. Right. So I, want, I want to have that conversation. I want to see the conversation happen on screen. Uh, but yeah, I think the writer here is really a smart, strong choice. I mean, she has comic book bona fides uh, and she has the, the dramatic chops, clearly. Uh, Watchmen is one of the great pieces of American art of the past few years. So I know Marvel tends to make, you know, bit more mainstream you know uh safe stuff but mainstream and safe can also be really good and really fun and i think mahershal lee and her is a really good start yeah all right so moving on to our next story this one uh was like the maybe the biggest like uh mad libs style uh headline from last week i think so mattel is developing an uno movie with rapper Little Yachty potentially starring. So he is also, uh, I believe, executive producing this movie. Uh, the Grammy-nominated rapper Little Yachty, who, I, as far as I know, does not have uh, any film credits so far. I should probably look that up uh, just to, to confirm. But um, we know that a writer named Marcy Kelly, who does not have any credits to her name yet, is writing the script for this Uno movie, which is, of course, based on the classic card game. But like, how do you turn Uno into a movie? And their answer is to turn it into a live action heist comedy 
that is, quote, set in the underground hip hop world of Atlanta. So, um, what? Uh, I, I'm, I mean, I, did you guys play Uno growing up? Are you guys familiar with this this uh, very basic, like, family friendly game? And then, can anyone, either of you, uh, give me any sort of potential insight as to how this might be connected to the underground hip hop scene in Atlanta, Georgia? Um, Chris, <laughs> let's start with you. Actually, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm interrupt, but I, I can guarantee you what happened here, Ben. Okay. Yes. This was a, another screenplay. About the under, about a heist in the underground hip hop Atlanta scene, and they're trying to get it made. They reach out to all possible avenues, and Mattel said, "Put Uno in there, and we'll finance it." Mm, mm. I guarantee you, it has to be a story here. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I wonder if we'll actually get the truth behind that, like during this movie's uh, press junket when it eventually, when slash if it eventually comes out. Um, Chris, are you familiar with Uno, and and what do you make of this uh, insanity? No, I, I have no. Uh... <laughs> I've never played Uno. I don't really, really? know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I've heard of it, obviously. I know, you know, I've heard, I've seen it at like Target on the shelves, but I, <laughs> I don't really know anything about Uno, honestly. So um, I just know this is going to be a wonderful movie and it's going to win several awards. <laughs> uh, well, Jacob, as like the, the tabletop gamer among us, I assume you're familiar with like the mechanics of Uno. That's probably a game that you grew up with, right? Yeah, Uno is fine. I mean, there are much better card games out there if you're a connoisseur, but it gets the job done. It's it's just a purely mechanical game. It's just, it's, it's called a, 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 a trick-taking game in board game parlance where you just like, you know, take that, take that, reverse this, change that. Mm-hmm. My card breaks the game. My card breaks the game back. You know, it's it's a... It's uh, the godfather of a lot of um, far superior <laughs> modern card games, but this makes me re- really think. Like I said earlier, if this is a heist movie, um, somehow the mechanics of the game will be reflected in the heist because you know it's all about you know um, changing fortune very suddenly in Uno. So uh, yeah, like but how does like reverse or draw four like? <laughs> How does that factor into a, a, a live action heist comedy? I have no idea. I, I, I don't think you can answer, Jacob. But. I don't know. Um, all all I can guess is that the the, the people pulling off this heist um, that's been that's, that's being talked about in, in the basic plot description probably play probably play Uno or somehow inspired by mechanics of Uno to, to you know make a mechanically sound uh, crime plan. That's my that's my guess. Ocean's <laughs> Eleven, but instead of, instead of like you know a montage where to figure things out. They, they're playing Uno and go, what if, <laughs> what if we do it like this based on Uno? Um, but like I said, uh, there's, there's literally, I cannot imagine a world where somebody said, let's write an Uno movie. This has to be an existing script that they said, oh man, we want to make this, but we need to make sure there's some franchise potential. I, yeah. I, that's all I can think. And I would, I'm happy to be wrong. If you're involved in the Uno project, email us and let us know. Yeah, that would be great. And and I did not mean to uh to um denigrate uh, Little Yachty's uh filmography. Evidently, he has uh lent his voice to the character of Green Lantern in Teen Titans Go to the Movies, and then he is he played himself in the movie Longshot. Uh and he also starred in 2019's How High 2. So, he has some credits before. Um but yeah, so th- there you have it. An Uno movie is in development. Who knows if it'll actually come out, but uh figured it's worth discussing um chris let's talk about another movie that's been in development for a long long time and this is a film based on the uh, broadway hit wicked and there's been some movement on uh that front this this movie has been in the works for a long time but uh now it seems like maybe it's a little closer to actually happening uh yeah it's uh, wicked based on the the hit broadway musical which is based on a book which is 
based on sort of a, a prequel idea for the Wizard of Oz, uh, has has been attempting to come to the screen for a while now. For the longest time, uh, Stephen Daldry, who directed Billy Elliot, was attached to direct it. And uh, it even had a release date, and that release date was originally December 20th, 2019, a date which will live in infamy because that is the date uh, that Cats ended up coming out instead of this movie. Um, this, <laughs> this movie uh, has been delayed so long, they, they, they knocked it out of that release date and they put Cats in theaters that day instead. Uh, but now it looks like um, it's sort of picking up steam again because uh, John M. Chu directed Crazy Rich Asians. And also directed the upcoming uh, film adaptation of In the Heights has been uh, hired to direct this this wicked movie. Um, and that's really all we have at the moment. There's still no casting. Uh, you know, uh, there's no uh, new release date. So we're going to have to wait and see how this turns out. But it does look like after, you know, waiting the longest time, uh, the film is finally sort of coming back together again. <laughs> So in the uh, pre-COVID era, Chris, I know that you occasionally visited New York and Broadway and things like that. Did you ever see Wicked? Are you familiar with that story beyond just like reading about it in, uh, you know, uh, trade reports and write-ups that we've had to do for the site? I've never seen it. I have listened to the songs and uh, several of them are, are very good that, you know, the Defying Gravity song, which everyone knows is is very good. Uh, so I, I'm, I am familiar with it. I have never seen it. I think I saw it with my family when it came to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, like many years ago. This is probably 10 years ago now at this point, maybe, maybe long, actually maybe like closer to 15 years ago, but um, man, that's a, it's a great show. I'm a little curious about how a movie version works, but I'm happy that John Chu is behind the camera here because he comes from the world of musicals a little bit, or at least like uh, he definitely has like a musicality to his style. I mean, he, is the guy who directed Step Up to the Streets, and uh, he's directed Step Up 3D and the uh, Justin Bieber Never Say Never do- concert documentary. Um, he stepped into sort of more, um, I don't know, like mainstream blockbuster filmmaking with like GI Joe uh, Retaliation and um, yeah, as you mentioned, Crazy Crazy Rich Asians. But this seems to be sort of a return to that sort of like more musical. Um, style uh, sort of on the on the uh, heels of the in the heights movie that's going to be coming to hbo max later this year uh jacob are you familiar with uh with wicked have you seen that show or, or heard the score there or the the uh soundtrack rather i've never seen it but i have listened to the soundtrack it, it, it's good i i have a bone to pick with it because i think the book it's based on is a far superior piece of dramatic writing oh interesting um, yeah but um if, if this is the way to go adapt, because I know they're never going to adapt the book at this point because the musical is such a huge, big deal. Uh, but the musical is good. Uh, at least the soundtrack's good. It's one of those cases where uh, I, we, we listen to a soundtrack and have the Wikipedia description open so you can like read the plot between the song. Mm-hmm. I've done that with Wicked. Um, but they've actually seen it. But, you know, John Ju is interesting. I like him. Uh, so, you know, let's do it. If, if we're never going to get that miniseries adaptation of the book, I'll take this. I'm curious about your opinion about the book. I, I've not read it myself, but the couple of the people that I have spoken with who have read the book said that they preferred the stage show to the book. So I'm, I'm curious why you are the opposite of that. Uh, the case of the show says, what if the Wicked Witch of the West was actually good? And that's it's, it's like, well, she, well, she's actually a good person and she's actually heroic the entire time. And here she is being misunderstood and being a hero. Um, whereas the book is, what if she wasn't a villain, straight up villain, but she was incredibly complex and prone to um, 
making poor choices and good choices and being an incredibly complex person whose life cannot be summed up by good or evil. Mm. And that to me is so much richer and interesting, but that's just me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's go uh, to our next item, which is uh, the Game of Thrones prequel series. House of the Dragon has found a composer for that show. Jacob, who is going to be uh, heading to Westeros for that? Yeah, they're bringing back uh, Ramin Djawadi, the, the man who composed the score for Game of Thrones, the original uh, series. And this feels like a no-brainer because I'll, I'll say as much. I usually cut the word iconic from every single article that's published on Slashfilm because I think it so rarely um, applies. And Ben, you wrote this article and you described Jawadi's score as iconic. And I, I, I struggled with whether or not to cut it and I ended up cutting it. But it's as close to iconic as any musical <laughs> score of the past decade could, could possibly be. Um, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, you think of Game of Thrones, you suddenly think of the da, 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 you hear it in your head when you, when you think of this. So I think to um, not bring him back would have been a serious mis, uh, misjudgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as he doesn't like recycle too many old themes and re- recognize that you know this is a different era and you know, different characters and brings up something as equally you know earwormy as the original score, I think this is a great choice. Uh, ben, what do you think? Yeah, I'm curious. I, I agree. I think you know providing that sort of bridge um, makes a lot of sense, and and the idea of being able to um, maybe recycle or not necessarily recycle, but um, reincorporate or sort of uh, build upon the Targaryen themes that he created for Game of Thrones, and then to sort of I guess yeah, like reapply those or sort of build out different versions of those um almost like uh travel like travel back in time and create a piece that feels like it would eventually evolve into that seems like what uh conceptually should happen because this prequel series takes place what is it like a couple hundred years few hundred years before the events of game of thrones and it it involves the targaryen dynasty um so you know it seems like there's a lot of cool opportunities to like uh, for people who love um, film and television scores, I feel like there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, like Easter eggs within the music, you know, like little nods and and um, motifs and stuff that are going to be recycled for, for people who are um, paying close attention to that stuff. Um, I'm curious about the theme song, though, because uh, that theme is so, <laughs> forgive the word, iconic. Uh, do you think that they're going to create a whole different theme song for this show or do you think that is going to be the the sort of blanket theme for all game of thrones uh materials because it is so well known now jacob they need to do a new theme song they need to differentiate this from game of thrones it's its own thing if they use that theme music then i will immediately be angry because i'm reminded of um uh youtuber Lindsay ellis has a really great three-part breakdown of of why the hobbit fails as a move it's a movie, it's a movie trilogy one of her big point points is that in a key action scene they reuse the music the ring wraith theme from the original Lord of the rings for a non-ring wraith scene in uh in the hobbit and her this really angers her and she says things mean things and i, I think about that a lot <laughs> things mean things and especially with, with a show like game of thrones or, or, or um where each house each character has a familiar score and that score means something and house of the dragon needs to mean something on its own 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't think we have, but I, I just want to um, make sure that people know that like the rest of the game of score, game of Thrones score is also incredible. There's that song uh, light of the seven, which I feel like is honestly like one of the best pieces of, of uh, music that's ever been composed for any television show. Um, so there, there's a lot of unbelievable work that Jawadi did over the course of the eight seasons of, uh, of that show. It's not just the theme song that I, that I sort of brought up there at the end, but not to linger um, this too much more because we've gone long on the game of Thrones score, but the uh, use of the organ in the episode The Winds of Winter uh, remains, mm. for me, one of the greatest uses of music in any episode of television. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so let's move to our last story, and th- uh, that is uh, involving a Legend of Zelda live-action TV series. Um, I don't want to confuse anybody. It's not happening. But, Chris, we now know why uh, a live-action show is not happening, or at least not yet. Uh, tell us the, the update um, for why that show sort of fell apart. Right. And I, I want to stress that I have my doubts about this story, but I'm, I reported it as is because I, uh, I'm committed to bringing you the facts, readers. Um, but back in, <laughs> back in 2015, uh, the Wall Street Journal posted a story saying that Netflix was uh, developing a live action Legend of Zelda series. And then uh, the show got canceled and we never saw it. Uh, and now um, all these years later, uh, Adam Conover, who is a comedian, um, he did voices on uh, BoJack Horseman, and he had a show called Adam Ruins Everything. Uh, he was working on a completely different n- Nintendo adaptation, uh, a claymation version of Star Fox. And, and I'm going to stop you right there before you even go any further. This is the first time I've ever heard of the, uh, the existence of that project, and that sounds kind of awesome. Do you know anything about like the uh, the Star Fox world, Chris? Did you ever play any of those games? Do you do you know those characters? Here's my Star Fox story. When I was young, uh, there used to be physical brick and mortar stores called uh, Hollywood Video, <laughs> and I rented Star Fox from there. And I tried to play it, and I couldn't get past like. <laughs> a few seconds of gameplay because I am, I am uh, not a gamer friends. So is this said, like the Nintendo 64 era. I can't even remember what system it was. Cause I didn't have a lot of systems. So it was whatever basic version was available of Star Fox. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I hate this. And I never got, <laughs> I never tried to get any further. So that's, that's the extent of my Star Fox knowledge. <laughs> Your grudge continues to this day. Yes, go to hell uh, Star Fox. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Uh, so, so this uh, claymation Star Fox uh, project was in the works, and right. what did Adam Conover have to say? So, yeah, this was in the works at the same exact time, apparently. And uh, Adam Conover recently appeared on a podcast. He was telling the story, and according to him, he said Nintendo pulled the plug on both this and Zelda because uh, of that Wall Street Journal leak, and the reasoning was they were angry about the story leaking out. And again, uh, this is Adam Conover's word. Uh, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm sure this is what someone told him, but he doesn't really elaborate on more than that. And I have have trouble kind of believing that is the only reason that Nintendo was like, someone heard we're making this. Well, then we're not going to make it. Like, it just seems like a very weird reason to pull the plug. At the same time, uh, the reasoning seems to be that Nintendo is sort of um, jumpy when it comes to adaptations of their material because they really haven't had that many successes when it comes to turning their video games into movies or TV shows. You know, there's the the infamous Mario brothers live action movie, which is, you know, a famous flop. So that sort of seems to be the reasoning that they're just skittish over there and they were unhappy that the word leaked out and they pulled the plug entirely. I, I personally feel like there has to be more to the story than that, but I couldn't find 
like any other reasoning when I was writing this, when I was, you know, I was looking around. So that's sort of the only reason we have to go on. Yeah. And since these uh, projects, or at least the live action Zelda one was in the works at Netflix, if we were to take this story at face value, I feel like the only reason that they, that the company would pull the plug on this is because they wanted to do like a completely surprise drop of, of the show. And because word came out, it like ruined the surprise and they're like, okay, it's not worth it for us to, to do this unless we can completely control the narrative like all the way through. But that seems like a level of control that is that frankly, I've never heard of, (laughs) you know, having, having written about movies for many, many years at this point, I I don't think I've heard of a story quite like this. So I'm, I tend to agree with you that there's probably something else going on there. But um, Jacob, as somebody who is familiar with the, obviously the, the uh, Zelda, uh, you know, that, that whole franchise. And, uh, I know you're very much like tapped into, uh, the video game news stuff and, and also like theme park news. And there's like Nintendo, super Nintendo world and all that. Have you heard any, anything else about this or, or what's your take on this? I haven't heard anything Chris has not heard, but I will say as much, I I believe this. And the reason I believe this is Nintendo is two things. One, it is protective of itself it does not release a bad Mario game, does not release a bad Zelda game. It will delay and delay and delay until that thing is perfect. It is, it is famous for making for, for making sure that first-party Nintendo games are, have a seal of quality that cannot be beaten. Even if you don't particularly like a Mario game or a Zelda release, if it's not for you, uh, it's usually because you, you, don't, you don't enjoy a certain gameplay choice or maybe it's something doesn't click with you but it's not because they're bad games nintendo Mm -hmm. they have this attention to quality that like makes every other entertainment company in the world (laughs) look terrible but also they're they're an eccentric company they've turned down numerous offers to be bought out by larger corporations for tons of money they zig when everybody else zags like they, they, they don't compete with sony and microsoft they when those companies started making these massive bricks of consoles that have the most power in the world, they made Nintendo Switch, this tiny little handheld portable thing. And they make weird experiments. They're always goofing off, and they really exist in their own bubble. They make Nintendo products, things that, that they are excited by. So the combination of this protectiveness and this sort of willingness to not play by rules and exist by their own you know, internal logic suggests to me that that whatever reason this was, if there is more or not, I, I, I am 100% convinced that Nintendo, being the eccentric weirdo company that it is, saw these leaks as a sign of, we don't have control over this, this scares us, we're not going to risk tarnishing one of our most famous, well-regarded, and critically acclaimed brands. Hmm. Um, Chris, I have to ask, did you have, have you ever had any uh, Star Fox level disaster experiences playing any of the Zelda games? Have you ever played any of those? Uh, no, I, I never played the Zelda games when I was younger. Um, now that I have a Nintendo Switch, which I use once every six months, uh, I have the subscription and they have like the classic Zelda versions on there. So I, I've played some of that. I haven't played, uh, what was it called? Breath of the Wild that everyone talks mm-hmm. about because I, I've read that it's it's an investment game. You need to, you know, it's all about like wandering around and I'm, I'm not a gamer and I don't have the patience for that. So I have, you know, even though I hear it's a great, beautiful game, I've not pulled the trigger on it yet. So no, is the answer to your question, Ben. Yeah, I okay. hundred hours beat the game for me. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Chris, did you ever get uh, very far in uh, untitled goose game? This is very I, far off the track, but I beat that actually. And that was fun oh. because it was, it's the most laid back game. 
in history. You're just a goose and you're running around and you're stealing shit and there's not a whole lot to it. So I, I beat that in like three days and then I kind of regretted it because I, I was like, well, I have no reason to play this game anymore. So I don't, I don't know. Where's that movie, Hollywood? Cast yeah. Andy Circus as the goose. Like, let's let's get this thing off the off the ground yeah. here. Come on. Absolutely. I'd watch that. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. This uh, podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.